Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the plan here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? <laughs> All right, welcome back to Swish FM. Chris Mundelkin, Ben Craw, friend of the show, Brendan Shields is with us. Ben, a few weeks ago, you uh, you implored me to sit down and to look at the 1994 cult classic film Clifford, as well as a corresponding uh, oral history that was running on Vulture. Needless to say, both of those events have um, changed the trajectory of my life. <laughs> I, a human boy, am uh, permanently changed uh, forever. So we have a special guest with us in the house to yeah. discuss the movie. It's uh, Rob Travosky. Rob's a producer, TV writer. He is currently working on Only Murders in the Building for Hulu. He's written on shows like Silicon Valley for HBO. He wrote and published the definitive thought piece, which I mentioned on Clifford up on Vulture right now. It's called Look at Me Like a Human Boy, an Oral History of Clifford, the 1994 cult comedy about a deranged little boy played by Martin Short. <laughs> Rob, it's uh, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for taking a couple minutes. Thank you. Uh, how you doing? Doing great. That's uh, To hear that title of the piece, I'm like, that is a long, long title. Yeah. <laughs> but it gets the whole thing. That pretty much tells you what it's going to be about. You know? Yeah, it's pretty fitting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect piece of journalism <laughs> for a, a perfect piece of art. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us, Rob. Ben, I, I guess we'll begin here. I was kind of curious what everyone's like origin story with the movie is. Yeah, so to give a quick backstory um, for our uh, no doubt very confused listeners right now, um, Clifford is a movie that. Um, yeah, not a lot of people maybe know about or uh, let alone, you know, are obsessed with um, the way that we are. But um, I, you know, knew about this film for a long time. It was like sort of on TV a lot as a kid. It, it was like a big box office flop and like, you know, critical failure um, back when it came out um, after being delayed for several years in the early 90s. Um, and then anyway, uh, long story short, uh, my good friend and creative partner Brendan Shields, um, who's joining us today, was like a longtime like uh, fan of this movie, and um, we had used it for some creative projects. And then he was like, "We should sit and, and watch this one night um, for like a movie night that we uh, you know occasionally do." So we did, and I was uh, you know I, I like had sort of you know seen the movie bits and pieces over the years, like I said, but had never really like properly like consumed it like in, as a, as an adult. 
um, until really just, yeah, I guess it was earlier this year, or like late last year, maybe, Brendan? I don't know. I forget. Uh, it was for was... my birthday, actually. There you <laughs> that go. is what I wanted <laughs> to do for my was. birthday. That's what it was. It was our birthday. <laughs> my gift to Brendan was to watch Clifford with him over Zoom. What um, a gift. Yeah, so um, as soon as I did that, I was, like, obsessed and went down a rabbit hole and read Rob's article um, without knowing anything about Rob or who he was. And then I started just, like, talking to everyone I knew about Clifford. And one of those people was my cousin, Christian, who lives in Los Angeles. Um, And Christian was like, oh, yeah, the guy that wrote that oral history for Vulture is a friend of mine. And I immediately was just like, okay, now I need to be friends with him and have him on my podcast and talk to him about Clifford. <laughs> so that's kind of how this all came about. Um, so, Rob, did you how, did you um, know Christian from college or just from L.A.? Or? I, I know him from college. We worked on a uh, college TV late night show together. Yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, need don't to say the that. name, and hopefully, no one can find it. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Christian was one of the hosts at one point, and was great. And um, yeah, and talk about cult classics. Yeah, yeah. it's prime <laughs> to be rediscovered. Yeah. So I'm wondering. Um, yeah, like Rob, how did your relationship with Clifford? begin how did the oral history come about i'm very curious you know i think i first saw the movie you know on comedy central probably when i was a teenager you know it seemed to run endlessly as like one of the three movies they would show you know when Mm -hmm. back when comedy central was like that monty python and old gallagher specials i think was my memory of it and heathers i feel like they played Heathers every other day and um so i saw it you know and i I it I never forgot it, but it, it didn't. I wasn't obsessed with it. And then years later, when I first moved to LA and was working as an assistant at a comedy kind of office, uh, one of the other assistants was like, "Have you seen Clifford?" And I said, "Of course." He's like, "Have you seen it lately, though?" <laughs> and I rewatched it, and it just blew me away not just uh martin short's performance but particularly that was when i was like kind of discovering how great charles groden was oh, and oh, yeah. um the legend his him what he does in that movie is uh, amazing yeah it's a tour de yeah. force He's absolutely truly the star of him, <laughs> not martin short so i had you know so then it was like okay this is one of my favorite you know movies to talk to people about because it it is like one of those you know, secret handshake things where if you meet someone who's seen it, you know, you know, you've made like a friend for life um, mm. or someone who thinks that you have the just the worst, strangest taste in movies. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, so when I was so then, you know, years later, you know, last year or I guess it was last year, I, I had been working on the first season of Only Murders in the Building um, as one of the writers. And, you know, I was at a party or something just and you know had mentioned i was working on the show and so he's like oh that movie clifford like what's the deal with that movie you know i was like there's and i was like yeah what is the deal with clifford (laughs) you know and i sort of did try to look at what was on the internet about it because it seems like everything has an oral history already so i was like surely this Mm. has been covered and then you know you i found enough strange details you know it was shot in 1990 not released till 1994 the writers' names were obviously fake names, you know. 
Um, JD Rock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and just this, you know, there's the Roger Ebert review, which is incredible. Uh, so good. And I was like, I think there's enough here, you know. And so we it was towards the end of shooting the first season of Only Murders. I was in LA. The writers really weren't on set because of COVID and everything, but I texted uh, the guy who run who runs that show, John Hoffman, and I said, I you know, I want to write something about Clifford. Do you think if would it be okay for me to ask Marty uh, if uh, you know if he'd be willing to do an interview or something? Um, I wouldn't say I'm on a Marty basis with him, but let's go with it, guys. Mm, yeah, close uh, friend of yours. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah. he, John said, I'm sitting next to Marty right now. I just read him your text, and he said, absolutely. And so... Oh, I, what a dream come true. So I emailed, you know, he gave me his email address, and I emailed him, and uh, he was like, I'd love to do it. I'm going to be back in L.A. in two weeks. You know, let's let's find a time then. And then, since I knew I had him, then I think I reached out to Vulture through... Uh, a friend, and then I was like, okay, now I can just like make a list of a- anyone around, anyone involved in the movie, and if I tell them that Marty's participating, that will help, you know. Sure, sure. And I had never written an oral history before <laughs> or anything. I had a guess about how you might do it, and I read. I remember years ago reading this book about punk rock in the seventies in New York. I probably should have looked at the name of this book, but at the end of it, they sort of write a thing about how you write an oral history. Just like, just try to get people to tell stories that maybe don't exactly line up because memories are, you know, can get kind of foggy and just let the reader sort of sort that stuff out. So I kind of use that as my guide in writing it. Mm. And whenever, my only rule was whenever somebody mentioned somebody, I would try to then talk to that person just to go off on as many weird tangents as I could. Well, yeah, as I said, it's an incredible piece. Um, I feel like it's just like a, a perfect kind of like accompaniment to, uh, to the film because it is one of those movies that you watch and you're just like, how did this happen? Um, and there's like some incredible, incredible, uh, you know, little, uh, quotes you get in there. Um, one of my favorite sort of recurring characters is Tom Sharpling. who's like kind of known as like the Clifford super fan. Um, he claims it's like his number one favorite movie of all time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, like you said, Rob, I was actually, talking to these guys about the same thing the secret handshake aspect of this movie one of my best friends uh from college i became close friends with talking about uh groden and martin short in this movie and uh i'm a big tom sharfling fan as well uh through the best show and hollywood handbook and whatnot so when I found that out, I was like, oh, man, like, <laughs> this guy's a comedy genius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It gives it so much, like, underground cred, really. Yeah, I'm sure he introduced a lot of people to it, you know. Uh, it was hard. Other than him, it was like, I knew I wanted to talk to, like, who are interesting fans of this movie? Because I, the example I'd always cite was, I remember reading some article about Zoolander. And it's just, like, a fact about Zoolander that Terrence Malick loves that movie. <laughs> and that's amazing. which is like so funny but i was like how do people know that like did someone happen yeah. to ask you know i was like that in my mind i was like that's what i want i want like what is like the like how did you how did you get intel that like letterman was like a, a fan of the film like how does how does that information get back so i i had heard that as well so it's somewhat public knowledge i think our first guest is uh sad and uninterested he doesn't know where the camera is 
He doesn't want to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the star of Beethoven's second, Charles Grodin. Letterman, I think Marty had said that he, you know, had told him that he liked the movie at some point, maybe when he was first promoting it or whatever. So that came late, very late in the writing of the piece, because uh, I talked mm. to Marty a couple times. And the second time he said, yeah, Letterman, you know, has told me he loves this. So I was like, well, you know, I have to turn this in in a week. Let me give it a shot. You know, I sent an email to his publicist and I said, I, you know, I know this is a total, you know, long shot. Is there any chance that Dave is a fan of the movie Clifford and wants to talk about it? <laughs> and one thing that would happen is sometimes the publicists themselves were fans of Clifford, you know, so they would give it this yeah. email like a second look. And and mm. this guy was like, you know, it's he's real busy. I doubt it, but he loves Marty, and I didn't know he loved Clifford. And then, you know, sure enough, maybe a day later, I got an email that was like, "Can you talk on Thursday?" And wow. and Dave actually, I don't think anyone else did this who I interviewed, but when they connected me with him, they're like, "Just so you know, he rewatched the movie last night, so he's fully prepared to talk about it." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I am sad, disinterested, and I don't want to be here, but I'm really making an effort. Look, they said dress like Dave, lose some weight, and try to be as funny as Dave. You, you smoke a pipe, don't you, Charles? Yeah, and then, of course, the, I mean, per- perhaps the most famous Clifford fan of all is Nicolas Cage, which is like, to me, that's the Terrence Malick uh, of, of the piece right there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's like an amazing little like tidbit that I guess Martin Short had already written about in his book. Um, but then you talked to Cage himself. Right? That one's a little sleight of hand. We tried. So uh, Cage is, you're right, in, in um, Marty's memoir, he, he tells that story about the airplane and Nicolas Cage. We tried, you know, his publicist, his manager. It was just impossible to get through to him. Somebody else at Vulture was uh, doing a very, I think, just a, an interview with him for, um, I think, that movie Pig that came out around that time. And mm. so they asked that question for me about Clifford. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. In. So that's, that still counts yeah. as, uh, as <laughs> He's in the piece, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, to get in, you know, we don't have time to, to go through our usual, uh, you know, six part, uh, film, uh, treatment that we often give <laughs> movies on this, on this show. But, um, yes, we are officially entering, uh, Clifford into the Swish FM canon, uh, alongside, uh, the town and, uh, <laughs> Gar- Garbage Pail Kids. Oh, wow. The movie, um, yeah. and, uh, and Air Bud. Um, only, only the, you know, the true, the true classics. Yeah. You know, to, to, to discuss the film itself a little, I mean, it, it really is like, it, this is gonna, you know, I guess for anyone who hasn't watched the movie, you should probably just like turn this off and <laughs> go do something else. But, uh, but yeah, like assuming that that most people are familiar with the the general plot and outline, I would love to get in a little bit. Like uh, Chris, what was your reaction? Like, because you came into it, you were you were the, like the most recent convert of our of our group here. Um, like, what was your expectation going in? You kind of went in pretty blind, right, Chris? Like uh, for your yeah, group. I went in. 
I went in totally blind. I but I knew nothing about the movie other than Martin Short was playing a 10-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um yeah, I mean obviously I was just like completely delighted. I think the thing Charles Grodin, like for me the the real revelation of the movie is just like Charles Grodin and like I I was trying to think of like how I would describe the film and I kind of landed on that it's like it's a movie about a young megalomaniac named Clifford who sort of like upends the world of another megalomaniac Mm -hmm. named Uncle Martin (laughs) and um, it's just like the perfect storm like it's just the perfect storm like Uncle Martin's under this insane duress in his work life and his personal life he wants to get married to this uh, woman Miss Sarah Davis and it's just the ultimate power struggle and that just that human boy scene is is for me it's just like the ultimate hostage negotiation uh, <laughs> so I, I just loved it I, I really enjoy the hell out of this movie rewatching it I was like struck by how both the the main characters and Clifford and Martin are faking it the entire movie like they're constantly you know, de- like trying to deceive and 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 you know, like keep up these facades. Um, it, anytime like another character is present, you know, usually uh, Sarah, you know, uh, uh, Martin's fiance. Um, but really, anytime there's like an adult, um, any other adult uh, other than uh, than Clifford's uncle Martin, you know, Clifford's like constantly like trying to <laughs> to like just like his the the yeah the deviousness and the deceit involved in like all of his actions um and the way he you know presents himself and then at the same time martin had like even though they clearly like hate each other um like martin has to keep up this this charade as well in order to convince his fiance that he like actually loves kids and the whole thing is just this like high wire act of like deception yeah <laughs> um and and constant you know conflict of like these two characters like trying to to destroy each other basically while not appearing to destroy each other in public so it's just yeah it's like perfectly crafted like a little uh you know like a little music box or something like that where all the gears are just like perfectly in sync brendan do you want to talk a little bit about how you like uh grew into becoming a a clifford fan yeah definitely so i saw this probably not long after it came out i can't remember if it was on comedy central or something like that as rob said it definitely was on cable a lot or i might have just rented it because i just rented a ton of vhs back in the day uh i was a weird little kid that i was like i went into this uh as a martin short fan you know i loved three amigos and a bunch of other stuff he was in I left this movie being a huge Charles Grodin fan. Like, I had no idea this guy had comedic chops. Uh, The real human boy scene, as we brought up before, is really... Like, I would do that for a monologue. Like, it (laughs) it really is so good, just how angry Charles Grodin is. And yeah, as you said, Ben, um, the scene right before that is equally good when he gets out of prison... And he has to, like, make up the story to Sarah Davis about 
his friend playing the prank on him and he's dunking Martin Short's face in the milk multiple times and they're yeah. just pretending to love each other but he's essentially strangling his nephew. I, I heard, well, I read uh, through your piece, Rob, that uh, a lot of that was improvised, which is amazing. Or, or you know, just kind of little bits were tacked on um, to what they had. They did a lot of takes, as you pointed out. So I just love Charles Grodin between this and The Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> uh, I saw those at a young age, and he is fantastic in both. And nobody nobody plays an angry dad character as good as Grodin does in the world. Rob, there was never really like anyone besides Charles Grodin that was going to play the role of Uncle Martin. Right? No, he was he was always who they wanted, you know. Um, and in the piece, I think there's that video, the improv version of that human boy scene with where it's Steve Campman playing the Grodin part, basically. But and you can see what started there that then makes it into the movie, kind of. But yeah, they always mm-hmm. wanted Grodin. You know, he was so because he was also had done those like Johnny Carson and Letterman appearances that I I know are on YouTube where he's he's doing a similar kind of real slow burn, contemptuous (laughs) character. Just like melting down in real time. Do you have any other pet peeves that we can discuss outside of that? No, I'm I'm more interested in knowing what you really are. Are you interested in anything at all? Absolutely. That's why I'm asking. No, 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 you know, know, really. No, really. really. Of course I am. You really care? Yes. What do you care about? I mean, in life, life. You care about anything? <laughs> I mean, we hope the show goes on forever. Sure. All right. We hope everybody's happy. But, you know, given that and we're all healthy and happy, right. is there anything in the world that yes. you actually yes. care about? Yes. What? My health. And I have this terrible pain right now. Which. <laughs> It's aggravated by you asking me dumb questions like that. Well, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to cut through the list. The questions. Well, well forget the, the list. list. All right, I'm, I'm really asking you, man to man, as though we weren't here. Yes, we are here, but as though we weren't here. Yeah, I'm here. I don't know about you. <laughs> sure, there are a lot of things I care deeply about. Deeply. Deeply. Come on. What do you mean, come deeply. on? Deeply. Of course. You? Yes. I could care about the human condition. Come on. Like what? Don't you know what the human condition means? Yeah, but what do you care about the human condition? You've reduced the entire world situation, Iraq and everything, to an opening monologue. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I'm Hussein, and uh, boo-boo-boo, you know. You really... Is there anything in the world that you really... Do you you lie awake at night and worry about anything that doesn't have to do with the show or yourself? Yes, the mentally impaired. I forget if there was... If it was in your piece or somewhere I read, but he has such a, like kind of like disdain for like like humanity like he just kind of hates like other people and like everyone is sort of an inconvenience to him um and i think that kind of like reminds me of i mean the the hum- like talking to me like a human boy scene is like the most iconic but for my money like the line that makes me laugh the hardest of the entire movie is um, when he and Sarah are outside the, you know, the house that, uh, that, that he just bought, um, that has one bedroom and sits on a cliff, uh, making it completely <laughs> inhospitable to, uh, to, to children. And Sarah's, you know, very upset about this. Um, and then Martin trying to convince her that he actually loves kids, tells her about, uh, his nephew for the first time and says, I love my nephew. When did I say I didn't want kids? You don't have to say it. It's so obvious. It's a joke. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this bad 
bachelor pad with one bedroom. Where's a kid supposed to sleep? Oh, honey, have you ever heard the word sofa bed? Have you ever heard the word stupid? Stupid? We say stupid? Stupid! Are you saying this house couldn't work for kids? Oh, no, it's perfect. Where are the kids, honey? Oh, they're just out back playing on the cliff. I, I can't believe what I'm hearing, Sarah. I, I, I love kids. Oh, you don't. I saw you at the daycare today. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about other people's children. You should see me with a kid I know. You know, my own flesh and blood. My nephew. You never mentioned you had a nephew. I love my nephew. What's his name? I want to say Mason. Uh, Clifford. Little Clifford. <laughs> Just not even close. <laughs> yeah. Not even close to the name Clifford, and yet somehow, like, it kind of makes, like, it sort of is, like, spiritually like it makes sense mm. like that if you just didn't fucking yeah. know like that would the, that would be the name you pulled out of your your ass like it's just like so specific and like weird <laughs> amazing <laughs> and the way he delivers it uh, rob yeah you quoted paul flaherty the director in the piece saying uh quote he was one of the most obsessive compulsive people you'll ever meet we went to new york to meet him for the first time he was not comfortable with the temperature in the room he fiddled with the thermostat about 30 times could not stop <laughs> that really tells you something right the dude i mean he was just like yeah he was just the embodiment of like nervous energy and just yeah totally uncomfortable totally uncomfortable at all yeah i would say you know my hope was you know i I really wish i had gotten a chance to include him in the piece you know i was sort of working up to it and um you know i knew he had not been in stuff in a while and i had heard you know you know he was i think in his mid-80s at that point so um, you know, at a certain point it became clear that it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I had such great, uh, conversations, you know, stuff that didn't make it in the piece cause it wasn't really about, it was too far astray from the topic of Clifford. But, uh, that guy, Clay Detmer, who I just found in like the online white pages, <laughs> um, <laughs> who worked for Grodin for like 10 years, had so many incredible stories. He worked on Grodin's CNBC show, which is just one of the strangest things that's ever been on TV. Um, yeah, I never God. watched that. Ben, I think that might require a rewatch uh, <laughs> and a deep dive. Yeah. I did see his appearance on Hannity and Combs uh, mm-hmm. back in like 2009. Hi, joining us now is the author of the book, If I Only Knew Then, Learning from Our Mistakes, Charles Grodin. Very nice to meet you in person. I loved your cable show. Thank you. Thank when you, you did very it. much. You missed doing very that? Much. Uh, you're not worried about having any eyeliner at all, are you? No, he walks and he says he needs eyeliner. <laughs> you know, what am I in drag here? Come no, on. No, 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 no. With all due respect, you look like you look like a half a million dollars. At this guy over half here. A million. Go ahead, <laughs> give me a look, look. Look at it. Can you see? Look what he's doing. Can Go you ahead. pan down and look, look what he's wearing? I, look what he's wearing. Come on. I see. He's got jeans on. I and wear it. jeans every night. And then he tells me in his personal appearances. You sing. Is that true? No, no, I sing at the Freedom Concerts. <laughs> at the Freedom Concerts. I'm raising money for for the troops and their families. All right, what do you sing? Well, I sing with Montgomery Gentry and Charlie Daniels. So the devil went down in Georgia. Do your medley. I can't for, sing. Do, do your medley from Fiddler on the Roof. No, <laughs> no. Because I that, that'll bring the hostile coming from you. Because uh, yeah. you're Jewish, aren't you? Uh, uh, Sean Hannity, uh, Irish Catholic. Uh, uh, right, that's that's your stage name. <laughs> uh, 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 no, that's my real Sean, name, actually. No, Sean Hamburg. You see, we let you, we let you on the show when you want to take uh, over, uh, just like uh, a Jewish show. My guest tonight, Alan Holmes and Sean Hannity, have their own show on Fox. About you. Absolutely bad shit, but uh, yeah, no, Grodin, yeah, like we, we've, uh, I think, all recently gone down like little uh, rabbit holes of his late night uh, appearances with Carson and Letterman and stuff, and like that stuff is just like 
so incredible. Like the fact that he's like he's doing a bit, but there's still like clearly a little element of truth in like. Like, you can tell he's not faking it. Like, some of the stuff that he says about, like, Johnny Carson, like, do you even care about, like, anything? <laughs> do you care about any of the people you talk to? Well, and what's um, the name of Grodin's book? It's like, I'd, I'd Rather You Weren't Here or something? What's it called? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It just um, oozes contempt for people. Yeah. I think it's, is um, it, it'd be so nice if you weren't here or something like that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just perfect. Yeah, it'd be yeah. so nice if you weren't here. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite uh, moments of the movie that I picked up on this time that I never really notice is the scene where it's, it's the first night that uh, Clifford gets there. He won't go to bed. He's watching a documentary of like people in Africa just with <laughs> yeah. their titties hanging out. <laughs> and that's the first time when you can see the cracks start to show in their relationship that like yeah. <laughs> Charles Curtin is still being nice to him, but you really start to see the, the contempt for Clifford like something in awry. his eyes. Yeah. He's like, I hate this kid. Yeah. I regret everything immediately. The friction begins of like him knowing that he has to keep up this facade in order. Cause you know, he's purely using Clifford for right. the purpose of convincing his fiancée to marry him, and Clifford is clearly using him to get to Dinosaur World. Right. Um, and, and it starts off, like, they, they get off to such a great start. Like, they're at LAX, he and Clifford are, you know, like, you know, they're they're talking about Dinosaur World, this, that it's the closed. Sign, the sign the that Clifford sign makes. He's pretending <laughs> right. to be asleep. Right, yeah. but we learn that, like, Uncle Martin designed Larry the Scary Rex, and he has a lifetime pass to Dinosaur World, so it all seems like a match made in heaven, like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, this is gonna be, like, simple, really easy, you know, everyone's gonna get what they want. Yeah, bang, just... bang, transaction, everyone's gonna Ooh. be happy, and they can go home. <laughs> to, but, to me, yeah. one of the things that I really enjoyed in rewatches is the, um, lo- like, Clifford's sort of romantic attraction to Miss Sarah. Oh, yeah. Miss Sarah Davis. You know, they do it, you know, the first time he sees her, the way that the camera kind of moves in. And, you know, I mentioned this in the piece, but it's the same cinematographer as Chinatown, you know? Like, yeah, and Scarface. <laughs> like, t- like that was incredible to me. That I had no idea. Um, and they cut a scene, um, and these scenes are on YouTube, I think, and they're in the TV version, but not in the version that's on iTunes or HBO or whatever. But there was a scene where Clifford sort of proposes to Miss Sarah with the ring, with with Uncle Martin's, <laughs> with the ring he stole from Uncle Martin. Miss Sarah, I know I'm only 10 and, and you can't marry me now, but would you wait for me? You are such a darling, Clifford. Well, you know, actually, I'm in love with somebody else. You know, I think you better go to and he asks her like to wait for him <laughs> to be old enough. Oh my god! You know, like really <laughs> making awesome. it explicit. And I, you know, I kind of wish it was had stayed in there. But I really enjoyed that on the rewatch. I yeah. think it really made me laugh. And the other thing I would say that I learned that sort of unlocked a different layer of it was uh, people talking about that movie, The Bad Seed, which I had right. never seen until I started writing this. And you definitely see elements. That's like the, I think, original like evil child movie. And mm-hmm. uh, it started as a play, I think. 
And you can see elements of what he's doing, this kind of like creepy precociousness that's that's very amusing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely becomes a full-blown horror movie by like the second half of the film. Like it is a extremely dark, dark comedy. And yeah, by the time... You know, like, <laughs> by the time uh, Martin kind of, like, drops all pretenses and, like, you know, I think it's kind of, like, the, the, the turning point, like, rewatching it for me is when he, um, after he gets tricked into going to San Francisco on the flight back to Los Angeles when he's, like, drawing the devil horns on the Polaroid of, of uh, Clifford, like, on the plane. And he has that entire plane ride to just, like, sit and, like, simmer and, like, plot his, like you know, revenge on this 10-year-old boy. That's where it really gets dark. And then not long after that, he's, like, boarding up the room that Clifford is in. And then, of yeah. course, like, kidnaps him and puts him in a straitjacket and takes him to Dinosaur World. Um, yeah, there's so many moments that feel like breaking points for Uncle Martin. Yeah. Like, there's the explosion that happens at the, uh, the presentation that he's mm-hmm. doing, you know, for work. But, yeah, man, that final, like... That final scene, like, you know, the, the the finale, whatever, where he brings uh, Clifford to Dinosaur World and uh, puts him on the uh, Larry the Scary Rex roller coaster ride, and it's, like, on full blast. And it's just, like, that to me really crystallized the film. It's weird. Like, in a lot of ways, my my favorite my favorite moment of the of the of the movie was the human boy scene but like really it the the movie really crystallized for me when um martin gets kidnapped uh when clifford gets kidnapped by uncle martin and um yeah he puts him on the scary uh rex ride over and over again on on full blast like that yeah i've never seen a scene quite like that in a movie it's super unique um i mean for the the fact that it's the end of a comedy and they like went all out on that scene. Yeah. Uh, Larry the Scary Rex as a animatronic robot is so fucking cool looking that I was telling you this, Ben, when we watched it on my birthday, but there's a point where Clifford is hanging on for dear life and there's like a, a skeleton that's part of the ride that falls into Larry the Scary Rex's mouth. And for me as a little kid, I was like a robot dinosaur eating a skeleton is like the holy trinity of cool shit (laughs) it's so fucking awesome the dinosaur itself is awesome it's like massive when it you know emerges for the first time on screen but then like you know the uh uncle martin like puts the ride into hyperspeed whatever and it goes all haywire and like the pterodactyl smashes into the dinosaur so the the larry the scary rex becomes like this like zombie like mech version of a t-rex which is so cool and it looks so awesome like the special effects still hold up to this day, um, which is one of the reasons BU used it for uh, this project uh, for Smash TV Megaplex, just because the visuals themselves are so like insane and and compelling, and like all the and I you know your oral history Rob did an awesome job of explaining how like they just like built all that stuff that was pure you know movie yeah. magic right there um, would you say rob there was only like 20 feet of actual roller coaster track yeah i think that's what paul flaherty was saying much much less than you'd think yeah which yeah. is it's like, like animatronics and like rear rear screen projection kind of stuff and yeah 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 like steven spielberg himself like asked martin short like how did you guys do that <laughs> like the king of like hollywood magic and like special effects was like blown away by don't, it, so don't think that i do rex is in jurassic park don't think that i didn't try to ask spielberg himself for uh, oh man <laughs> 
Sadly, was unsuccessful. He was on, he was on your wish yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sent a few emails to the Amblin PR guy, and he was like, no he's like, I'm wow. not. I remember his response really made me laugh. He's like, I'm not going to lie. He's pretty busy, but I'll ask. <laughs> well, it's uh, that's, that's his loss. Yeah. Spielberg, if you're listening, <laughs> and we know you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just some other like little. Uh, lines that i loved uh, on my rewatch um we talked about how you know when once uncle martin has like full-on lost it and he is like you know basically imprisoned uh <laughs> clifford in his own bed or in the bedroom that he's staying in and then uh you know sarah davis comes home and like rescues him and the first thing out of his mouth when she like breaks down the like boarded up door and like takes the rope off his wrist <laughs> clifford says my little mouth is parched for my long night of bondage <laughs> 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 which like just i mean again like he's playing a 10 year old boy but it's all yeah. so heightened and surreal like obviously like that's nothing a 10 year old boy would ever say um but it's funny because it's martin short and just yeah. the way he's delivering it and i mean can we also talk a little bit about like the wardrobe choices like some of like the red jacket and bow tie like the everything is like so iconic like even though you know, there. It's almost like if you, even if you've never seen the movie, if you see like Martin Short as a little boy in that red jacket, you like know instantly. Like, I don't know. To me, it's a very, um, it's like just like a, an iconic image of like the '90s in a in a weird way. For a very select group, it's iconic. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the just yeah the 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 whole wardrobe and like makeup and everything, all the stuff that they did. Um, the dance scene, obviously, when he's like surrounded by uh, these like teenagers that are were all casted to be, uh, you know. Oh yeah, way bigger than him. All the extras are like six foot seven, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, huge people. I yeah. could have watched that forever. That dancing. I, I, I oh my god! Oh, I my know. God. Um, like seriously, wish that that scene had lasted another fifteen minutes easily. Um, what I tried to pay attention to on this watch is just how Grodin interacted with like other adults in this movie and he is you can tell he is just like a miserable person uh there's a few times when he's just being willfully contentious um and miss sarah davis says just because i'm in a good mood and you're not you can't stand it can you and he just (laughs) mutters under his breath i can stand it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh my god yeah so good rob so i don't know it seems like well, is this is this a concept film? Is that like the correct term? Like the idea it, that like everyone in this world sort of accepts this one like extraordinary thing that, you know, Martin Short, this like 30, 40 year old man is actually a 10 year old boy. Um, is It seems like movies like this aren't really made anymore. Do, is that, would you say that's true? Like that, that, like, you know, movies where the whole sort of plot and world of the movie and play sort of, relies on this one uh, conceit like being played truthfully and funnily is that do you feel like that's true that movies like this aren't really made anymore i'm having a hard time thinking of others i think there was that movie little from a few years ago i didn't see it right. um, oh yeah but i think that was a, that's a different premise but the idea that yeah you're gonna have someone who looks you know that they're <laughs> you know, like as letterman says like you know from a medical standpoint, you know, something's <laughs> going on there and nobody's really acknowledging it. You know, I thought when I'm writing, I was like, what is this movie? You know, because there are shows like, you know, Pen15 
But you know right. why they're doing that it. That's the only thing I can Yeah, think of. or a show that I worked on, Lady Dynamite, in the second season, it's... Maria Bamford played the teenage version of herself as well. But we're sort mm-hmm. of doing it because, you know, as an actor, an adult actor can give you this nuance and, you know, it's already about alienation, 1015 at least, you know, so it's like makes sense that they're different. But yeah, what you're saying is true. Like, and I think it's why Clifford was widely hated <laughs> or, you know, why it does re- tend to repel people is it is so off-putting and yet no one acknowledges it makes you feel a little insane, I think, you know? Yeah. Well, it was frustrating to me, like, and I, and I read uh, Roger Ebert's entire review, and it's like, I mean, first of all, Roger, like, whatever, I don't want to, you know, disparage the, uh, the deceased or anything, but, like, I feel like so often he just, like, didn't get stuff as a film critic, and, like, that, like, I think he famously, like, didn't really like horror movies, is that right? I don't remember, but... uh but in his review, he was he. It's like he couldn't get over just the sheer physical appearance of Clifford, and like that's what like you know resulted more than anything in like the half star rating that he gave it. Is that he was just like kind of disturbed and 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 like just couldn't like understand that it was like comedy and like that it was like supposed to be like this weird you know bizarre surreal heightened thing. Um, yeah, and I guess I get it. Like, yeah, he's you know. It's weird, but like it's not that like that's once you kind of, of understand the concept, yeah, can't you appreciate yeah. it for you know just short and Groden's comedic talents? But yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, Ebert really really missed it on that one. It's but. it's interesting to think of how people might have reacted, you know, because clearly that was something that came up from the test screenings, you know, that people just mm. were not on board in any yeah, way. We had to this. do a lot of reshoots and like, the yeah. Whole, and yeah. what it would have been, I mean, imagine a version of the movie that starts basically the way they intended to start, which is just on the plane without any of the old priest stuff, you know, right. That would be a truly terrifying experience. I think that you're and all of a sudden this movie starts and here's this 10 year old boy played by Martin short. Yeah. It does feel like they kind of hedged their bets and like tempered things a little bit, um, with the, uh, with the kind of bookend, uh, you know, scenes with, uh, with short and 50 years into the future at the, uh, wayward school or is that what it was called school for boys in the year 2050 yeah there's some light (laughs) wayward boys i had forgotten that there are these light sci-fi elements to the uh yeah we didn't really do all that much with the future stuff but um, right except at the end he says out of the blue which is something we used to say (laughs) that, that phrase has been completely abandoned in the year 2050 yeah they do still have some good physical comedy, though, in, uh, in the future with uh, <laughs> Martin Short getting hit and hit over the head with a basketball and a suitcase. Well, I have a question, Rob. How did you get your hands on the audition tape of Martin Short's? So somebody gave it to me, uh, not Marty, but I was talking to somebody and they had it and uh, they said uh, if he was okay with it, they would share it with me. And um, like, I can't even imagine like the vault, like the safe in Hollywood where that uh, Clifford. Oh, yeah, it's a t- tape very high kept. security vault to keep people <laughs> yeah. away yeah. from the Clifford yeah. tapes. Yeah. <laughs> what I really wanted and didn't even think to ask for was like to see if those original cuts of the movie have to exist somewhere. You know, if I could go back right. and do it. I know. Yeah, the screening versions. Yeah. Marty has uh, all the dailies and everything, you know, just sitting there. I think they've been 
you know, I don't know if they're still on film or if they've been digitized or something, you know. Uh, so mm-hmm. maybe when Criterion <laughs> does the yeah. Clippers, they could go back and Man, look at it. I thought I was so excited to learn that there was like a jacked up Martin Short that came back and did reshoots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he was wearing a wig, all that stuff made me so happy. Oh, that was so delightful. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think, that. like, what movie was he? Did he get like buff for? Because he does know, look noticeably like, tighter in that jacket in the, uh, yeah. in, the in the kitchen <laughs> in the kitchen scene. Yeah, I don't remember. Is it Cap- Captain Ron? Is around that time? I don't know if that one was uh, next yeah, or something. Yeah. I don't remember That's him being that buff. Right around that 93, time. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine why he would need to get jacked for that movie, but if you're saying mm. next to Kurt Russell, then... Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe he got inspired. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, it's weird looking back on Short's career, like, for as, you know, incredible and, and just legendary a comedic talent as he is, he didn't really have, like, that many, like, classic comedies. Like, there's, like, Three Amigos, like, Interspace, like, kind of a comedy, sci-fi comedy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then, but like, I would say in terms of just putting his, obviously he did uh, so much incredible like TV work, but in terms of like a film, like there really didn't, there really, I, I would say Clifford is like maybe the best example of just like his talent on display, like both him and Groton really, yeah. because it was just like, let these guys loose. Like, you know, the whole premise is just them being weird to each other and like, <laughs> and this i feel like it facial it just, comedy in this uh, yeah is has got to be the highlight of his career i would say yeah like, he's making so many insane faces whenever he is scheming he just has those like totally dead eyes yeah um groden yeah the dead eyes always makes yeah. me laugh doesn't uh groden <laughs> doing the a lot of facial work as well like it must be hard to act like you are pretending to like like somebody for everyone else's benefit, but secretly hate them, and you convey that just through like your eyes, and somehow he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean they really were the perfect storm, Groden and Martin Short. Like it, re- it really was a perfect storm. Rob, what do we need to know? So look at me like a human boy in oral history of Clifford, the 1994 cult comedy about a deranged little boy played by Martin Short. <laughs> It's uh, your oral history that's up on Vulture uh, for our audience. Please go find it and read it. Rob, you're currently working on Only Murders in the Building for Hulu. Is there anything else you're working on? Anything you want to plug? Where can people find you on social media? Tell, uh, tell. You can't really find me. That piece will be my only legacy. I did do some research and I was like, I came up, yeah, I was like, what? Not on Twitter? Okay. (laughs) Great. I'll just share this one quick thing that might be amusing, but that... I, so the show Only Murders, we do it all over Zoom pretty much. Yeah. You know? Which, by the way, is starring met, Martin Short, if, if, in case you haven't right. said that. And Steve Martin, right? I, and Steve Martin. And yeah. Steve Martin, yeah. And Selena yeah, Gomez. Um, oh, nice. So we had one one gathering in person after the first season came out where we got all the writers got to meet the guys. I was at the showrunner's house. And the piece, I was really nervous because the Clifford piece came out like two days before. So it was going to be my first time seeing uh, Marty. Face to face. You know, face to face ever. And also, you know, right after this thing. And he couldn't have been more delighted with like the way it turned out and was so nice. You know, you know, we were all like, let's not hug the guys, you know, because like, you know, between pandemic waves, everybody was vaccinated, you know, whatever. He, He wanted a hug. And at the end of the night when everybody was like getting up to leave. 
He looked at me and did a Clifford impression just oh. for me. I think I don't think anybody else. Oh my saw god! It. But he said, "I just had the bestest time in the whole wide oh. world." <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! So, wow. Well, I think that speaks for all of us. I think, uh, yeah. you know, we, we here at Swish FM have had the bestest time in the whole wide world, Rob. <laughs> well, thank you, yeah. guys. Yeah, thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun. And um, we will definitely check out uh, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Till next time, we'll talk to you next week. All right, boys. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks again, Rob, for your time. This was a, an absolute treat and a delight. You can listen to Swish FM. Swish FM. Swish FM. Woo.